We can go ahead and be seated. We welcome you back for the final night of Dinosaurs, Design, and Destiny. It's hard for me to get those three Ds in the right order. For some reason, I have to think about that. Um, We welcome back. uh, Matt, again tonight, is going to bring us some dinosaurs tonight. He's going to get more in-depth into dinosaurs, and I'm really looking forward to tonight's message. Probably some other things, too. But uh, without any more from me, we'll welcome Matt back up. Everybody. Everybody have a good day? Had a good day over in Baxter this morning. Preschool and kindergarten is a blast. There is a special place for teachers of preschoolers and kindergartners. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, they think they scare me more than anything else on the planet. Okay, so. <clears throat> It was, it was fun. It was fun to, to hang out with the kids this morning and, and teach a little bit. And, and so I start tonight, uh, again, to share with you a few of the books out there that, are, that I think are really cool and, and uh, good with topics that we're talking about. Um, this is a series um, called Untold Secrets of Planet Earth, Monumental Monsters. This is a, this is a book, all, all three of these, I like to call them really great coffee table books. I don't know how many people still have coffee tables and put books on them or not, okay? I'm finding there's some, there's some younger generation are like, coffee table, what's a coffee table? Um, <clears throat> but if you still have one, <laughs> these are great because they have phenomenal pictures in them, but they have really good stuff, okay? So this one's about monumental monsters, things we see in the fossil record being bigger than the things we have today that are still alive. Okay, really interesting book. This one in the series is called Dire Dragons. Weaving together some of the things I'll I'll, I'll be sharing a little bit of tonight, but it's way more in depth in here. Talking about dragons in cultures around the world and connecting the dot of dragons and dinosaurs. Oh, see, I'm I'm, I'm giving you a teaser already for where we're going tonight. And then this one here, talking about flood fossils. Okay. Why, why do we have fossils? The flood would explain it. We covered some of that last night. This goes into more depth, all right? So those, those can be gotten out there. And uh, last thing I wanted to share with you, listen, I, I truly, I, I am, um, it is great to have the opportunity to come and share with you guys. I hope and pray you have seen uh, my heart and our ministry's heart, our passion for this book. Um, and I, and I, the part that I hate, I hate dealing with, but I, I want to share tonight. If, if the Lord puts it on your heart to help our ministry, there are cards on the table. Check them out, please. That's all I'm going to say. Let's get after it. Let's get to the word. Okay? So tonight, as I mentioned the other night, in 2001... In January of 2001, I was impacted in my life by the topic of dinosaurs and the connection to this book and this history. And as I shared the other night, for those of you that weren't here, I got really upset really fast. Because I had always had questions about these great creatures, but never could correlate it with the history in here. Because nobody had ever shared it with me. It was like a topic that never got discussed at church. Doing what I know now, it may be because there's lots of opinions about it. (laughs) 
differing opinions about it. <laughs> and, and it. And it can be one of those topics that's just like, oh, I don't know. Please do not walk out of here tonight thinking that if you don't agree with the worldview that I have and the position I'm going to share with you from the Word tonight, that somehow this is a salvation issue. Are you hearing me? That's not how I want it to come across. Now, at the least, I may argue with you that, that you have a consistency problem with the Word of God, if you don't, don't ride with me. But that, that's, that's a whole other issue, okay? But see, tonight, I want to get one word out of your vocabulary, because it's not biblical. See, these great creatures, these great creatures has, have often been taught to us as being prehistoric. Which, if you ride with this history here, there is no such thing as prehistoric. In Genesis 1-1, as we studied the, the other morning, the other evening, right? He began with what? In the beginning. And what was that, church? Time. Time starts. There is nothing prehistoric according to this book. Now, you can have a worldview that says there's something prehistoric. That's fine. But don't say that the Bible says so. Are you with me? Okay. So that's the first jumping off point this evening. When we talk about dinosaurs, listen, I need you to understand. I believe the history here, absolutely 100% true. So if, if, if I believe this is being 100% true, then I have to deal with these creatures... Because they have existed. There may be somebody here tonight that, that is just like, I just don't think they've ever existed. I think they're all faked. I'm really, really glad you're here. And I, and I, I beg of you, just, just give me the next hour or so. Please, I hope you're here with an open heart and mind. Not only to the Word, but, but to things that we've observed in the fossil record. Things that maybe you've never heard of before. Because some of it never makes the news. Okay, so, so tonight, I really hope as you walk out tonight, you will be worshiping your Creator and Savior differently with, with the magnificent creatures that we call dinosaurs. Some of you are like, but they're just evil. They're just nasty. Really, when was the last time you saw them do anything? <laughs> See, all week long, as I've been at the schools teaching, that's a major focus of what I teach when I go to a public school is, how much do you actually think we know about dinosaurs? I mean, we've not seen them, observed them, to know how they behaved, and we've put these behaviors on them that they were ferocious and nasty when they might not have been. See, so I want to challenge your worldview this evening about what you may or may not know about them. See, I find that things have impacted us in our worldview about dinosaurs. <laughs> Who's seen it? See, this is, I'm, I'm checking worldviews right quick. Okay? I, I got, see, I, I, I'm seeing what I have to deal with this evening. See, what kind of baggage in, is in here? Okay? Like all, like, what, 13 of these or whatever there are? Okay? It, the title alone is not biblical. You catch that, right? Come on, Sunday night, we discussed, when did he make land? Well, until day three, he created time, day one, so automatically we've got an issue, okay? <laughs> Biblically. 
Wade, who grew up with this one. See, now those of you that are really young that are like, oh, I know the Flintstones. You're watching the reruns of the reruns, okay? Just so you understand where, okay? Little did I understand when I was a kid, this is one of my favorite cartoons, which is so interesting to me now. It was one of my favorite cartoons. They lived with what? Dinosaurs. Do you understand that that doesn't fit in an evolutionary worldview? I mean, Fred utilized, they domesticated dinosaurs. Fred used one where for work? Speaks in this area. In the quarry, right? All right. Talk about a big Brutus. Okay. Uh, So they had them as pets. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Some of you, see, this was not, this was not some of the earliest cartoons with, with dinosaurs and people. Come on, give me, give me hands if you know what this is. There's a man in the funny papers we all know. I don't remember where I was when somebody says, Matt, what about Alley-Oop? I I don't know what Alley-Oop is. (laughs) I was was lost. I missed Alley-Oop, okay? Nothing but a bear cat stew. Hmm. Who's Who's seen the first three? Who's seen all three of the first three? Okay. All right. Okay. So, for me and my life... In 93, when Jurassic Park came out, and I went and saw it, for me in my life, I was in college, but I'd always kind of liked dinosaurs. And I'm here to tell you, I mean, I went into it knowing it was a movie, but man, Steven Spielberg did a work. He really did. I mean, to, to, to even watch it now, it is still... Very well done from a movie standpoint. Is it telling the truth about dinosaurs and everything? It's a movie. But man, I mean, I mean, if, if somebody were to ask me, what does a T-Rex sound like? When Professor Grant lights the lights the flare because T-Rex is getting ready to eat the kids in the flipped over Explorer and he's waving it and, he, and that T-Rex turns around and screams for the first, I can't, my hair is going up on the back of my neck right now because I can hear it. <laughs> are, you, are you remembering it? Those of you that have seen the movie? I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's really what they sound like, but that's what they sound like. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's got to be it, right? Hmm. This movie series has directly impacted our view of dinosaurs. Specifically students. See, we as adults can go see movies like this and go, (laughs) it's a movie. But see, there are others around us that don't see them that way. They see them as a documentary. Now, why would I say that? Because I spend a lot of time at camps and doing VBSs in the summer. And so I'll ask questions that I know are specifically... I'm going to get specific answers from this movie series. <laughs> okay? Like a velociraptor. Right? Th- never in our vocabulary until Jurassic Park. Like, like that dinosaur, like nobody knew anything about that dinosaur. Okay? And how, how, how tall are velociraptors? Show me. Show me. <laughs> That's good. Anybody back there? He's right. Anybody else? How big is a velociraptor? What do you think? 
Yeah, because we've seen movies. In the fossil record, a velociraptor has never been found any bigger than about your knee high. Now, Utah raptors have been found that large, but not the velociraptors. See, unless we study, we don't realize that. So there's all these things. See, you understand that Steven Spielberg does not know, does not know much about dinosaurs, so he went and got an expert to help him make the dinosaurs as real as he could try to make them in the, in the series. So he went and got a paleontologist by the name of Jack Horner. Lead paleontology professor from Montana State University. He's known for around the world as a leading paleontologist. Okay? Jack Horner. Just file it away. He put his worldview about dinosaurs into Michael Crichton's book and Steven Spielberg's movie. How he believed that they, they acted or behaved. The velociraptors, they were brilliant little things. Right? Because they could, they could come up to a door and then they could figure out what? How to, how to open the door, right? But see, uh, there were other things that, that, that Jack Horner very much believes about dinosaurs. He argues very heavily that maybe some of them could have been warm-blooded. But reptiles are what? Cold-blooded. But he argues that maybe some of them were warm-blooded. And it comes out of the movie, and you, most likely, like, I didn't even notice it, but they taught it to us anyways. Because when the velociraptor is looking through the kitchen door to get to the kids, trying to figure out the handle, looks through the door, and then what does he do to the glass? He steams it up. What is that a sign of? That is warm-bloodedness. A cold-blooded lizard will not do that. See, and we didn't even... He subtly threw some things in there that you go, huh. So that later on when he's on Discovery Channel or National Geographic talking about a dinosaur, you're like, oh yeah, like in Jurassic Park. See? Jurassic Park. So a few years ago, there's another... The new series starts, Jurassic World. I was in a, doing a VBS in Indiana at the time. And in this little town, they had a little theater, and they said, Matt, we want to do a private showing one night for any families that want to go see it. Will you, will you debrief us afterwards? And I went, oh, boy. How do I? Um, one, I, I haven't seen it, but I just what I know of Jurassic Park, that is not going to be for young kids. I'm just going to put that caution out for I haven't seen it. But, yeah, if you're going to do it, yes, I want to debrief them. So I better go see it myself. So I went Sunday evening before BBS started to the local theater so that I could see it. So I'm sitting in this theater. I'm ready to watch it, right? And so the lights go down. Previews are done. And the movie begins. No words. No music, no nothing. Please watch the opening scene if you don't remember it. I was sitting in the theater, sitting by myself, 
And I went, wow, this is going to be good. Because they just got me. See, what did they just connect together without saying a word? They connected. How many of you thought, what was that foot connected to when it first came down in your, in your worldview? A velociraptor, T-Rex, something, right? And they pan back and they show it's attached to what? A bird. What did they just connect together without saying a word? That dinosaurs and birds are connected. Guess who believes that's the case? A fellow by the name of Jack Horner. That many of our two-legged walking dinosaurs evolved into present-day birds. That's his worldview. It has gotten so popular of a worldview that we have now reclassified, we've reclassified dinosaurs, several, several varieties of dinosaurs under avian classification, under birds. Hmm. You understand that's a worldview, right? And not science. That's a worldview. But they connected it, and they connected it heavily through this movie series. So, so, tonight, I, I want us to look and see what this has to say. And tonight I want to start in Romans. Okay? I want to start in Romans tonight. I, I want to place these, these great creatures in history, in biblical understanding and history. But I, I, want to, I want to start with a very powerful verse in Romans chapter 1. We looked at a verse the other night, one, 1 in verse 20, but tonight I want to look at verse 25 for a second. Again, let me remind you, Paul is writing to a, to a church in a very pagan place, in a pagan culture. And he gives this warning. He says in verse 25, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Actually, in the Greek there, just in case you're curious, the NIV is a little weak in this area, in my opinion, with the words there. It, it very much in the Greek says this, They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The definite article is there in the Greek. It's not a lie. It's not like just a lie that, you know, just a normal lie. It's the lie. And when we do that, when we exchange the truth of God for a lie, what happens then? We worshiped and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. If we exchange this book for something else, if we exchange the truth for something else, we are going to end up worshipping and serving that, that other thing. It's going to happen. It's happening around us all the time. This topic this evening, dinosaurs. Some of you may be coming in here going, I don't understand why we're, why we're discussing dinosaurs in the Bible. Like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Because if, it, if you have millions and billions of years, and millions of years before we ever show up, death enters the world and drives things that are kaye nefesh, blood-containing creatures, to death, then wait a minute. Then Adam and Eve and the curse that came with sin, which is death. Then was that for real? Was that 
Was that something different? Was we have this ongoing battle in our worldview then. Well, wait a minute. If they've been here all this time and T-Rex ate everything that was blood-containing on the planet, <laughs> caused all this death, then what? We're going to come back and tie it together at the end. That's why dinosaurs becomes very important, because by and large, these guys are putting doubt in people's mind that this history is right. It's these guys right here. It's the story and the worldview being taught about them that, that just diametrically opposed to what this says in a lot of people's minds. So tonight we're going to study through a few things. I, I want us to look at, as we looked at last night, we, we have this, this column of all of these fossils. Nowhere on the planet is the entire column uh, located other than in a geology or a science textbook. We have these index fossils. We are told that, that dinosaurs are found in these layers here, but we have found them in other layers above and below, just in case you're curious. They don't get talked about much. So, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Fossils are very literally rocks. They were something that, that used to be living and, and has been buried very, very quickly with lots of mud and water, and, and they have been permineralized or petrified is the technical term. Their, their, main, their, their, their organic parts have been replaced with the minerals, whatever they were buried in. Okay? They're rocks. So a good example is this one here, okay? This is a piece of coprolite, okay? This is an actual rock, actual rock. It's hard, right? Would you guys like, right? Hard, heavy, 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 hard, like a rock, right? This being a piece of dinosaur poopy, um, <laughs> They already knew that. <laughs> Listen, we have no idea that this came from a dinosaur. We have no idea. What would be the only way we would ever know that this came from a dinosaur? That I could say that with all absolute certainty. If we watched it being, yeah. So, <clears throat> there's no way. I mean, you can, you, can cut, you can cut them open. You can know that they're feces. Because there's, there's undigested stuff in them, okay? So we can, we can know that. But to know what it came from, there's no way. Uh, it, well, Matt, but we find them in those same layers as dinosaurs, really. Are you sure we only find dinosaurs in those layers? That we don't find mammals with the dinosaurs? See, we're told we don't find mammals with dinosaurs, but we do. So it could have come from a mammal. Could have come from a dinosaur. It's reasonable size. I'd be okay with that, right? It's interesting, though. We have in our mind, usually, that fossils are what? The bones of things. And that's not true all the time. Has this always been hard, like a bone? No. <laughs> no. This shows, this shows very quickly that, that it takes rapid burial and the right conditions to make a... It's about conditions, church. It has nothing to do with time. It really doesn't. Time is not the key to fossilization. It is conditions of burial. Catching that? Conditions of burial. So a big, a large piece of this was found in Montana. Paper was written about it. Coprolytic ground mass. It had fossilized remains of undigested muscle tissue. 
the writer, the author says, rapid burial of the feces probably was facilitated by a flood event. Really? I would argue I know which flood event. We studied it last night. Now, it's interesting because this article is written by a guy by the name of, one of the authors is a guy by the name of J.R. Horner, otherwise known as Jack Horner. See, Jack Horner knows and understands to make fossils, you have to have lots and lots of mud and water. We'll see that as we study through things. We, we sometimes come to this study of fossils and dinosaurs and we think all fossils are extinct things. That's not true. All fossils are not extinct. We have squid. We have squid a few years ago that were found that had ink sacs that were still ink, just in case you're curious. Squid have hard parts? No. But they can be fossilized. It's about conditions. Octopus? Oh, boy. Teaching today in Baxter Springs. The first two groups, the preschool and kindergartners, and the first and second grade group, the, my next class that I had, both, when I showed this picture, the first ones to scream out something out of both of those groups was, Alien! <laughs> and I'm going... You know, the first time it happens with a young guy, I'm like, okay. And then it happens with the next class, too. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what you guys teach around here. <laughs> but <laughs> that's an octopus, okay? That's not, that is not an alien. That was so interesting today. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had that response. So it's, that was fun. That was, that was fun. You know, we can see throughout the fossil record things that show us rapid burial. Fish eating a fish. How long does it take for a fish to eat a fish? Not long. We, we, have, we have ichthyosauruses. This plate, if you haven't noticed this plate up here on the stage. This is a marine reptile. The original of this, this is the research replica copy that is also in many different museums. I recently saw the exact same piece in the uh, Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto, uh, Canada. And I was, I was walking through the museum, and I thought, hey, that looks familiar. And I'm finding the sign. I'm like, hey, that's the German spy. That, da, 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 da. I'm like, hey, I got one of those out of the truck. Okay, so um, <laughs> female ichthyosaurus. People say, well, how do you know it's a female? Because there's a baby's head right here that's already been birthed, one quite possibly in the birth canal, and then there's one still inside of her. Now, I understand. We have no idea how long it, for him to, to, it took him for, to give birth. But here's the interesting thing that I've, been, that I've done a little bit of research recently. I've seen more than one ichthyosaurus giving birth in a fossil. Some in Utah are almost identical, a little different. So whatever flood event buried the one in Germany... Ichthyosauruses were giving birth around the world at the same time. Hello? Isn't it coincidental that there are multiple ichthyosauruses fossilized giving birth or with babies? Church, I, I never ask you to check your brain at the door when we look at the Word of God and its history. We, we can observe things that supports it. We can observe things that show rapid burial we, we talked the other night about 
about when things were, were made. Days 5 and day 6. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 again. As I do a little review, in case somebody missed out on, on Monday, or excuse me, Sunday and Monday nights. Uh, just some, some quick review. We talked about two different, two different names that can be, be used for things we think of as being dinosauria. On day 5, in, 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 verse, in verse 21, there's a word. So God created the great, the great tanim, the creatures of the sea. We talked about those being, being these wonderful creatures. Like this titlosaur right over here. You know, this titlosaur, I really, I really like bringing back home to Kansas because he's a Kansan fossil. The, his original material, his original bones are hanging, are hanging at KU's Natural History Museum because he sat in the basement for many, many years. He was found way back. I can never remember the date. Hang on. 1911. He was found in 1911, and he stayed in the field jacket, in the rock, in the basement of KU. And then a paleontologist in Colorado knew about it and said, Hey, KU, if, if, if you'll allow me to take the fossil, I will get it out of the field jacket, prepare it, give you back the originals, so that I may have the rights to cast it for museums. Museums need to see this great specimen that C.D. Bunker found in 1911. And so they allowed him to do it. That's how I have a copy of it. Okay, almost 40 feet long, six-foot flippers. Pretty, pretty cool marine reptile. Technically not a dinosaur because he didn't live on land. He would have been classified in the biblical understanding of a tenim, something that lived in the water, made on day five. And then we have, we have the, well, we have the, the pteranodons over here. The flying reptiles, technically not dinosaurs. We think of them as dinosauria, but they're technically not. They're flying reptiles. They come in all shapes and sizes. This is kind of a, hmm, I guess I could say medium one. <laughs> okay. Also found here in Kansas. Yeah, by the way, he was found just outside of Hayes, Kansas. Lots of water there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He was found a little further, a little further west, out, out, out near Oakley. Memory serves right, Gove County, Logan County, that, that area out there. Lots of fossils out there. A lot of marine fossils out there. It's interesting. Yeah, we, we, we used to have one that had a 20, about a 24-foot wingspan. Had a, had a six foot from his crest to the end of his, his, his beak, his mouth. Six foot. Some of the biggest ones that have ever been found are Quetzalcoatlus, and their 42-foot wingspan. 42 feet across. Okay? They had wings. They were made according to the Word of God. Everything that has ever existed that has had a wing was made on day five. We have... We have the word, ten, uh, excuse me, the word behemoth down in verse 24. Jump down to 24 real fast. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock. We, we talked about this the other night. Livestock. Does dinosaur come into your brain when you hear the word livestock? Never. Right? Like that, that would never come into any of our worldview, our brain. Never. But yet this word is going to be used here in a second in another place in Scripture, and it is not talking about a cow. Not talking about cattle. 
Sometimes that, that word right there on day six gets translated cattle, just cattle. That's, the, that's like the only option. You know, that word covers lots of different things, not just cattle, not just livestock stuff. Okay? It is interesting. That word gets used quite a bit about domesticated things, though. Wait, Flintstones did what with dinosaurs again? <laughs> see, see, you're like, yeah, come on, Matt. Come on. Just hang on to that. I'll show you something here in a second. So he made all the land-dwelling dinosaurs he would have made on day six. So Mr. Albertosaurus here. This guy was, was found in Montana. The original one was found in Alberta, Canada. Hence the name Albertosaurus. Okay. They first found a few pieces of one, and they thought maybe they had a teenage or a young T-Rex. And as they found more and more complete ones, they realized, no, he's a little different. He does have similarities. Two little fingers on his little bitty arms, okay? He has some similarities, but, but proportionally, uh, he's a little different than a T-Rex. Maybe, maybe the same created kind, I think could be argued, maybe, as a T-Rex. But... These kinds of creatures, like the wonderful Triceratops that we have over here. She's pretty cool. It is so hard for me to stand next to this Triceratops and not think like pachyderm or something. To think reptilian, to think lizard. That's hard for me to grasp. I don't know why. It's just, it just is. It, one of the best skulls, most complete skulls that have ever been found of a Triceratops is this one here. Almost 100%, just like it sits on her, it was found in the rock. That is very, very rare. Over 50% of the rest of that animal was found with her. That's also pretty rare. So maybe some of you are going, well, but I don't see a 50% complete animal up there. I see a 100% complete animal. Well... We fill in because we found so many of the Triceratops. We know what the rest of the bones, if, you, if they're missing some, when we find portions of them. Okay? So we know how to complete them. Everything that we carry with us, most of these, especially the two larger animals, they are what we classify as a research replica. So that means they're not the actual rock, right? Fossils are rocks, right? So it's not the actual rock. It is a first-generation cast from the original as close as you get so you could research it, replica. They're even painted the same as the original fossil. Color-wise. So notice the differences in colors of fossils. It all has to do with the minerals that they were buried in. All has to do with the conditions they were buried under. Okay? So, so it's pretty amazing when we get to see these great creatures that the Lord has made. See, there's this, this fella, before I talk about T-Rex, that I want to show you a picture of. As I share with the kids often at school, there's this cute fella. <laughs> Every picture I've ever seen of Sir Richard Owen, he, he just looks really grumpy. <laughs> um, Sir Richard Owen, in the 1800s, he is, he, is somewhat, he is one of the first, there was a, several of them that, that began, we began finding these fossils of these terrible lizards. <laughs> and, 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 they, and we hadn't been naming all of them yet. It was kind of a, they're just terrible lizards. And he was getting ready to present them to some scientific colleagues in 1841. And he said, you know what? English is not the language of science. It's Latin or Greek. 
generally. And so he took terrible lizard and, and created a word. He coined the word. Dinosaurus. 1841. See, I have people all the time, Matt, we're talking about dinosaurs, but I haven't yet to see the word dinosaur in the Bible. Well, we have the word tenim. We have the word behemoth. But this word dinosaur, dinosaur. You know what? There's this... There's this one thing that in every civilization around the world, every civilization around the world has talked about. In what we classify as myths and legends. What is it? Dragon. England. In the Middle East, in Iraq. Asian cultures, every one of them. There's great similarities. Now, see, when I say dragon, how many of you picture what? Flying, fire breathing, <laughs> scaly, <laughs> reptilian, right? Right? No, nobody ever thinks of what Disney did to Pete <laughs> a few years ago. What did they do to the Pete when they remade Pete's dragon? They put a bunch of fur on him. Okay, nobody ever thinks of that with a dragon. Because none of the legends have fur on them. Okay? <laughs> so we have, this, we have this, this thought in every culture. It's interesting. In the King James Version of the Bible. When was it translated? Anyone know? 1611. 1611. King James had, had his scholars, as they were translating, translate Tanim 21 times in the Old Testament. And you know what word he had him put in the English language in there? Dragon. You know why I think more than any? Because we didn't have dinosaur yet. When did dinosaur come about, class? 1841. That's a few years after 1611, first English translation. Most used to this day. Dragon. Really? Hmm. That's interesting. So we have creatures like this. Packy. Where's Packy? Where'd Packy go? Packy Cephalosaurus. It's that domed guy that we've all seen, right? Made famous in the last Jurassic World movie. Why? Talk to me. Talk to me. Exactly. He freed. He got... He got yeah, he got him out, right? He got him out of, the, out of the jail area, right? Out of the prison area. Because he rammed it with this wonderful dome he has, right? Hmm. Have we ever seen him do that before? Like in, like in Alive? We've never seen it. Who's heard that idea that Packy rammed his head into stuff? So I think a lot of us have, if we've been paying attention to the movies and the whatnot. That's, that's the most common given idea of what he did with this. When we've never observed it, and the idea first came about when all we had was the upper part of this head. We did not have an entire skeleton. So when they first dug the head up, they're like, whoo, that could be a weapon. Wham! <laughs> See, I never forget. See, every time I do that, I hear a kid utterly blood-curdling scream at a VBS. I did that at once. <laughs> I mean, he was like on the front door. I was like, ah, ha, ha. He, ah, 
I'm like, oh, Nellie, he's done. Okay. <laughs> See, Packy. See, Packy has problems with that idea. As we found more and more of them, and we have full skeletons now, we notice their neck bones are nothing like animals we can observe that pound their heads against things. Totally different design of a neck in multiple different ways. One in reinforcement and strength in those bones, not the same. Kind of, he's got kind of a scrawny neck, okay? And also, when, when you look at all these other animals that we can observe today that do it, their spine and their necks are perfectly aligned with the point of impact that they're going to pound something with, which gives them leverage and gives them strength. Notice where Packy's head is attached to his neck versus where the dome is. Is it directly behind the dome? No. So it would suggest to us if he decided to do that, he most likely would have broke his neck. So there's many paleontologists that are like, yeah, probably not. Now that we have better skeletons and, <laughs> and we, have, we have more complete animals, maybe not. Jurassic World is a movie. A movie. It's just a movie. Not a documentary. It's a movie. Okay? It's a movie. See, and then a few years ago, this guy here was found. It looks like a packy without what? Without a dome. A little bit smaller. This head is a little bit smaller than Packy that I have here, Sandy. This is field name Sandy. Packy, this one was found in, in Wyoming, this specimen. But it says here from a group uh, of Stanford paleontologists said this, but the skull looks strangely familiar to anyone who has studied dragons. Draco Rex has a remarkable resemblance to dragons of ancient China and medieval Europe. Really? Really? They do. When you start looking at tapestries and things of dragons, their head is very, very similar. Very similar. I got the opportunity to meet the paleontologist that found Draco Rex. If you want to see Draco Rex, the actual, that head on display, it's in, at the Indianapolis Children's Museum. And so I was over there with a group of students, and I got to, to go to the little lab there and go up to the window, and I was talking with the paleontologist. I was like, hey, give me your opinion about, I was trying to be incognito, you know, I was just like, I'm just like a homeschooling dad. Stop. And, and so I'm asking him some questions, and then and he stops. He goes, so what do you do? And I went, oh, okay, Lord, okay. So I work for a creation ministry, and, uh, and I really like Draco Rex. He goes, you know what? You Bible believers really do like Draco Rex. I said, well, because we kind of believe that dragons are real. We're okay with it. See, Draco Rex means dragon king. His second part of his name is Hogwartsia. Hogwarts. Harry Potter fame, right? So that's what they named him. And so I'm asking the paleontologist, I'm like, so, so tell me what your thoughts are about its relationship with Packy. I've, I've been reading things that maybe younger, older, maybe, maybe Draco X was younger and Packy was older and he grew a dome when he got older kind of idea. And, and he's going through all these different, different scenarios and, and, and he says, and, and I said, well, I've got an idea that I'm kind of curious. I just want to bounce off you. What if Packy was the male and Draco Rex was the female? I mean, he used the dome to get the ladies. I mean, nothing like a big dome, right? <laughs> Come on, some of you gentlemen out there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. So, right? 
And, and he was kind of like, well, there's a few that, that, and a paleontologist that was working on a fossil pipes up at the back of the room. It was like, that's kind of what I believe. I'm like, yes. <laughs> One of those moments, you know, we had a good talk. This paleontologist that, that honestly did not believe the same as I do in my worldview. We had a, we had a good talk. He, he knew some other creationists that had been through his little, been through the Indianapolis Children's Museum and most likely talked with him about the same thing as I did. And, and it, was, it was a good conversation about a fossil, an amazing creature that the Lord has made. So, wait a minute. Let's go back to the Bible for a second. See? Oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that yet. I forgot. I can't believe I forgot. We should probably talk about him. Yay! <laughs> yeah, does that be okay? So this is, this is Dan's whole body up there on the screen. Okay? That actually, um, that, that is his uh, actual bones, except for the head that you see right there. The head hanging on that body. The body is uh, what, what actual bones we, we have of Stan. Those are his actual rock bones that they put on display. That head is the exact same copy that I have here. Because his actual head is on the floor because it's, it's huge. And it's what class fossils are? Rocks, yeah, weighs, uh, yeah, a lot, <laughs> okay? So they didn't put it up on the animal. They left it, made, made a research replica and put it up there on him. I got this, I've seen him, and uh, I'm here to tell you, that head right there, that is a really, really good copy. I, like, you, you would, it'd be very difficult to tell that that's not the actual one, okay? This, this, this huge animal, 40 feet long, 12 feet tall at the hips, Ginormous teeth, lost quite a few of their teeth quite often, maybe. You can see them growing back on Stan, had the ability to grow them back. There was some time that we kind of had the idea that maybe he lost them a lot, that maybe they weren't anchored in here very well, but we've had other T Rexes that suggest, well, maybe they're anchored better than we thought. Some of those ideas. But maybe, see, we had him chasing Jeeps in the first Jurassic Park, right? 35, 40 miles an hour. How many of the rest of the Jurassic Parks and Jurassic Worlds does T-Rex ever move that fast ever again in any of those movies? He doesn't. You know why? Because some guys at, at the University of Michigan got together and went, huh, I wonder if he could have done that after Jurassic Park. And they began scanning Stan's body and Sue's body, the largest T-Rex ever found in Chicago, began scanning these bodies and put them inside of CAD programs. And then attached muscles and tendons where we, where we think they, they might have attached on, the, on these skeletons and then made them move. Now, I understand that's not, that's not watching a live one. I understand that. But the locomotion, they, they worked on locomotion in other animals. And they went, well, let's, let's take some guesses here. Maybe 15 or 17 miles an hour. That's it. If you're that big of an animal with that size legs... That's all the faster you're going to get. Which might be a good thing, because his brain's about this big. Can you imagine a head behind 7 tons of weight, 13 to, to 14 feet off the ground, when he trips, running 40 miles an hour? Is he catching himself with, this, with those little... That's <laughs> like, I can just picture the slow motion disaster. And then that little brain inside that big head just goes... Okay, so they said, you know what? His legs would have had to have been 
two to three times the size they actually are to get, him, to get that amount of mass moving that fast. <laughs> so guess what we never saw again in any of the movies? <laughs> we, didn't see him, we didn't see him chasing Jeeps any longer. They went, yeah, okay, all right, well, let's go with that research. <laughs> all right? What did T-Rex eat? Meat. Meat, right? Why? Why do we say that? Have we seen him eat anything? No. But why? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 real fast. Let's, Let's refresh ourselves about something right quick. On day 6, when he had finished the animal kingdom, and he said everything was good, perfect, what did T-Rex eat, according to the Word of God? Let me read it. Verse 29 and following. Chapter 1. I give every, every seed-bearing plant on the face of the, earth, of the whole earth, and every tree that has a fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Verse 30. And to all the beasts of the earth, who might that include? I would classify him as a beast. Okay, I think that's pretty safe. All the beasts of the earth, all the birds of the air, all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. What did T-Rex eat when he was perfect? Hmm. Now see, those teeth don't say salad to me. Those teeth say prize-winning watermelons at the Kansas State Fair every year except for this year in, in Hutchison. I, I cannot walk into that barn, so I've been going to the Kansas State Fair like since I met my wife. We're now, we're now almost 30 years, or 29 years, this January of marriage. And so we've known each other over 30 years, and I've been going to the State Fair every year with her family until this year. That was just a, this is a weird year. And I always love going into that barn and seeing that prize-winning watermelon And that ginormous pumpkin. Who's seen those? Who's been to the the fair? I can think of nothing else than his mouth on that thing. When there was no death in the world of Kainefesh, remember this? The blood containing life, which is what day five and day six life was. That's why... The plants are given to us to eat. They're not Kainefesh creatures. They are not, that's not death when we eat them. When he was eating a watermelon. Some of you were like, you understand at the Oklahoma City Zoo, our tigers every year at the Oklahoma City Zoo for their birthday, they get a whole watermelon. And they absolutely love it. They don't just play with it, then they eat it. So something we think of as being carnivorous, my buddy, my, my colleague Ryan, he, he does a presentation about the historical reality of dinosaurs, and he shares about this lion, and I can never remember the name of the lion, that grew up, never ate meat, would not touch meat, would hang out with lambs and hang out with stuff that he should be eating and would never eat it, only ate vegetation, fruits, vegetables. Hmm. See, if, if we were to get one of, one of these guys ahead in the fossil record, and we thought they were extinct, and we looked at their teeth only, 
and compared them to the other teeth of their cousins, we might assume they were omnivorous at the least, eating meat and fruits and veggies, and we would be wrong because their diet, their diet is vegetation. Just because it has sharp teeth, even today, does not mean that it's always a meat eater. Now listen very closely. Don't send me the hate mail that says, Mr. Matt does not think the T-Rex ever ate meat. That's not what I'm saying. We have pretty good evidence in the fossil record. They chewed on stuff every once in a while. But not until after what, according to the Word of God? After sin, when death enters the world. For kainefesh things. Then things could have become carnivorous. Maybe some things didn't become carnivorous till after the flood, like us, even. Hmm. Dinosaurs. Bible. Turn with me to Job chapter 40 for a second. Job chapter 40. So we talked last night about them being on the ark. The ark was not like that. The ark was maybe closer to this. Right? If we have dinosaurs on the ark because they were classified as unclean animals, so there would have been a pair, a male and female of every kind. That doesn't mean the hundred and some different, different speciation or the 2,000 different named dinosaurs we got. All that. It, it, listen, this 2,000 named different kinds of dinosaurs, there have been many guys that have said, listen, if we could compare every piece and part of every bone of every dinosaur that's got a name that we only have a leg bone of, most likely, we've already got that animal also. So maybe there's only like 100 different ones, not 2,000. So even if we go there and we go, well, hmm, two of every kind. That means what got off the ark and began to reproduce after the flood? Yeah, elephants and everything else. And what? Dinosaurs. I mean, if they were on the ark, they, they would have done the exact same thing. They would have gotten the command and they would have done the same thing. That's what we can assume. So we go to Job chapter 40. Do you remember what's happening in Job here? See, Job is being, being shown things in creation that only God takes care of. He's having a little pity party. And starting in chapter 38 of Job, he, he, he's, God says, okay, maybe sit down, Job. <laughs> let, me, let me show you some things, Job. And he begins in, in chapter 38 and following, things in creation that only answer to the Lord have nothing to do with Job. And in, in chapter 40, verse 15, look at the behemoth, it says. That is the plural form of behemoth, that livestock word from day six. That's the plural form. What's your Bible say? What do the footnotes say there in your Bible to help you figure out what a behemoth is? Hippopotamus or what? Elephant. Anybody got anything different? Oh, a large animal, identity unknown. That's, that's way more reasonable to me than, than hippopotamus or elephant. Hippopotamus or elephant. There was a translation. I was at camp one year, and there's a translation out there, English translation, that doesn't even use behemoth. It just says hippopotamus. Look at the hippopotamus. I'm like, Really? But let's look at the description of this animal for a second. Is Job seeing these animals? Yeah, look at them, Job. Which I made along with you. What day was this creature made on? Day six, right? 
and which feeds on grass like an ox. So he's compared, whatever this animal is, he's compared to livestock. <laughs> he's not livestock, he's compared to livestock. He's compared to an ox, right? What strength he has in his loins, what power in the muscles of his belly, his tail sways like a cedar. That is not a puny cedar that we have in Oklahoma. That is a cedar tree. The cedars in the Middle East, the cedars of Lebanon, are ginormous trees. They're big trees. This tail does not say large tree to me. Like, I would never describe that tail as swinging like a cedar tree. It doesn't fit. He, he, he does have a decent-sized body, decent-sized bones, maybe. That kind of thing. What's the other option? What's the other option? Hip, okay. Wait for it. Yes, that tail says large cedar. Right? No. No. My, I will never forget. I have my zoom lens out. Zooming in on the rear end of that hippo. My, I look over, my family's walking away. They're just like, Dad. Mm-mm. Yep, I will never forget that. <laughs> You know what? Look, look at what it says. Verse 18, his bones are like tubes of bronze. His limbs are like rods of iron showing size, massive size, massive strength. He ranks first. Look at 19. He ranks first among the works of God, the largest land-dwelling, grass-eating, big bone, big-bodied, big-tailed animal. Now, wait, what has lived in, on the planet that we have fossils of that exactly fits the description that Job, of this creature that Job is supposed to look at? Long-necked dinosaurs, sauropods. I went into the Field Museum about a year and a half ago, walked into the, to the Great Hall, wait, ready to see Sue, and Sue is no longer in the Great Hall. She's now in the Hall of Evolution. She's been moved. And, but in her place is Patagotitan. I was upset when I first walked around the corner, and then I saw Patagotitan. I stood there and went, Bahima. Look, look at the little people. Over 121 feet long, if memory serves me right. An absolutely enormous animal. Look at the... <laughs> like, I mean, he's on a little pedestal. That pedestal is maybe, maybe a foot, maybe a foot and a half tall that they've got him on. That's all they've added to him. Okay. People barely come to his ankles. Look at that tail there. Those tailbones are roughly about this tall where they connect to his hinder parts. Put muscle and skin on that tail. Is that thing going to move like a big tree? I would suggest it probably did. Job is being shown long-necked dinosaurs. Plural. This is three to five hundred years post-flood. Where did mommy and daddy behemoth have to be for Job to see them? Where did they have to be during the flood? Had to have been on the ark, or Job does not see that creature. Remember the whole flood thing? Wiped out everything that lived on the land? That breathed air, had blood, all of that, or winged. Because we have biblical records of long-necked dinosaurs post-flood. So why do we think a myth in some civilization 
can't be true about a dragon. What, what do we, hunters, fishermen, focus. So how big was that buck? How big a rack did that buck have that you did not get? How big was that fish that you didn't get in? Like you, you had him, and then you were like, ah, and he got away. But, but man, he was big, right? When you got home, hello? We don't ever exaggerate things, right? We don't, we don't ever exaggerate things. Come on now. <laughs> hmm. Maybe some of those myths and legends were just exaggerations of things we were still dealing with that were classified as dinosaurs. See, around the world, I want to show you some things. Stand up and stretch for a second. Stand up and stretch. Because I need you to see the last few things I want to I share with you here. Because if I'm going to deal with these, and I want you to deal with these historically in your worldview, I need you to see what I'm about to show you. I, I need you to put this together. I need you to, to put this all together. This temple in Cambodia... These were not, not godly people that were building this temple. They were not worshiping our God, our Creator, our Savior. They worshiped everything. Everything was a God to them. And they would carve things on their temple of everything they worshiped. All kinds of idols included. And creatures. And creatures. In one of the reliefs, there is a picture of a... Now that, now stop. You, dinosaur. I've been told if you have an evolutionary worldview, you see a rhinoceros or a chameleon. You may sit whenever you feel like it. You know what? Last time I checked, neither a rhinoceros or a chameleon had plates that ran down his back. This temple is being constructed a thousand years after Christ walked on the earth. Did they have Discovery Channel yet? National Geographic? Jurassic Park? No. Did we see the monks seeing a stegosaurus, in case you're curious, if you're not remembering what kind of dinosaur that is. Here, let me, let me refresh your memory. That's what a stegosaurus looks like. That's what's on the temple. Okay, if they weren't looking at him... It's a really good representation. Hello? Notice, notice the representation is not a fossilized version of that animal. It has flesh on it. So a fellow a couple years ago from Answers in Genesis went over to study that, that column. He's studying it because there's stuff. You go Google this on the internet, there's all kinds of ideas. Oh, it's a, it's a rhinoceros. It's a, it's a chameleon. So he went over to study it for himself. He goes over there. He actually finds one on the inside as well as the one on the outside. And the one on the inside looks very strangely like it has a collar on it with a leash off of it. (laughs) Really? And the one on the inside does not have the spikes on his tail just like this one doesn't. So there's one school of thought that says, okay, if they did domesticate them, maybe they declawed them. A thought. Do we know it for sure? By no means. By no means. Circumstantial evidence, right? But it's interesting, though. In every civilization, we have this type of thing. In the Chinese culture, you, you understand, in the Asian culture, dragons are really, really important. 
I mean, most of us, I went to, the, to your Baxter Springs' um, Chinese buffet today. And I was really hoping they'd have the placemats. You know the placemats I'm talking about at some Chinese places? They tell you, they, they educate all of us that have no clue about the Asian culture, that every year they name a, a, a year after an animal. And so on the placemats, they show you what years are what animals, and every animal on the placemat is reasonable to everything we understand because we live with them. And then there's that one called a dragon. They were like, well, <laughs> right, we didn't really live with those, right? <laughs> really, huh. Yet in China, they were making out of jade figurines 2000 B.C. that just so happened to exactly match what a protoceratops looks like. Like exactly. But they had Discovery Channel 2000 B.C., right? <laughs> okay. Um, and then in the United States of America, in Glenrose, Texas, in 2000, a, a rock was found. That has an acrocanthosaurus track in it. Stepping across, stepping across, what, well, it's got, it's got, wait, how many toes does that one have? That one's got one, two, three, four, five, and the first one's bigger. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of does look like a human footprint, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of does. Now, in an evolutionary worldview, the only way this happens is the dinosaurs walking through the mud of that layer at least 65 million years ago, but then it gets covered up, becomes rock to preserve the footprint, but then 64 million years later, when we show up on the, on the, in, the, in the story, it c comes uncovered, becomes mud again, but keeps the footprint, and then we walk through it, and then it covers back up and re-solidifies and... Here's the problem, though. The dinosaur stepped across the human footprint. So the evolutionary crowd went, that's been faked. Like, the creationists, like, carved that, <laughs> right? So the fellow that owns it, Dr. Carl Baugh, it's in his museum in Glenrose, Texas, Creation Evidence Museum. You can go see the actual one. It's under glass. He went and had it MRI'd. Why would you MRI a rock? MRI shows density of things. That if, if those footprints are stepped in mud to make the footprint, the density of the rock under the footprint should be denser than the rock next to the footprint. Are you with me? So you got mud, and it's got the little particles of mud, right? And when you step in it, it compresses the one, so it would be compressed. If it's carved, it's all exactly the same density. Hello? Guess what the 300 scans showed? Density under those footprints. Right where it should be. The word of God says we've lived with them. The evidence says we've lived with them. But just in case, you're just like, mm, maybe not. I don't know. Back in the mid-90s, what are fossils again? Rocks. Back in the mid-90s, there's, this, there's this, this, this young graduate student by the name of Mary Schweitzer. She is working with a professor by the name of Jack Horner. Have, have you... Heard of him before? He, Jack gets a femur bone of a T-Rex, and it is so large, they have to break it in half to get it back to the laboratory in the field jackets. 
not a, not a common practice you like to do <laughs> when, you, when you have a complete bone, but it was that big. Gets it back to the laboratory. Mary Switzer, working on her graduate work and stuff, she, she gets to study this femur bone. And, and she, she begins to do her observational science. One of the first instruments she uses on this femur bone is this one right here. She says, in one of her papers, she says, I'm looking at the middle of this femur bone, and I'm, I'm detecting with my nose decaying flesh. Like it stinks. Like it's still decaying. Now, her worldview is they've dated this femur bone 90 million years because they got it out of what? A rock layer that is dated 90 million. Okay, so, so good. You guys are with me last night. That's good. So her worldview is just like, why is this decaying? She looks at it closer. The outside looked more rock and petrified, and the middle did not. She took some of the middle material, cleaned it as she'd been trained by Jack to clean the fossil to get all the contaminants off so you have a clean piece. To her shock, to her shock, this is what she found. Wait, fossils are supposed to be what again? Rock. It was an original soft tissue out of the middle of a T-Rex femur bone. We thought they were all rock until the mid-90s and this discovery. She then took some of that, sliced it up, put it under a microscope, and made this discovery. Red blood cells. Now, when she looked at it, she, she was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. She said to some of her colleagues in the lab, can you come just tell me what you see in here? Didn't tell them what they were going to look at. Didn't tell them what it was from. They said, just tell me what you see. They'd look in, like, red blood cells, Mary. Duh. Okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Figured you'd know what that is by now. You're, okay, one of those ideas, right? And one of them finally said, have you told Jack yet that you think that, because she goes, that's out of that T-Rex femur bone. Have you told Jack? She said, no, I haven't. So she tells Jack. Jack immediately says, do every test to prove to me or to you that it's not what you think it is. Guess what every test came back positive for? Hemoglobin. Blood. Every test. Red blood cells. And when I share this with, with kids, a lot of times some of them get excited because they have connected the dot already. Red blood cells means DNA, which means Jurassic Park, right? Like, woo! No, 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 no. It always starts like fun and, and then there's screaming and running and you, you know how the movie goes, right? Here's what, here's what Mary says. Here's what Mary says back in 05 in her article. I, I am quite aware that according to conventional wisdom and models of fossilizations, these structures aren't supposed to be there. But there they are. And I was pretty shocked. She has went on, now that she is a doctor, she has went on. And guess what her main research is? Finding soft tissue inside of, inside of fossils. And we have, we have numerous dinosaurs now with red blood cells of them. Numerous. So, listen, if you're still here, and you think they've never existed, man, why would the Lord fake this? 
Why would he fake it? See, he, our God is not a God of faking. He doesn't need to fake anything. He is the almighty creator of everything. He didn't need to, he didn't need to fake history by putting fossils in the ground of things that never existed. That, that, that doesn't fit with who he is when we read the, throughout the rest of Scripture. These animals existed. And I'm going to hedge that says it wasn't 65 million or more years. There are, at, at present, that I know of, six ways they're trying to explain this in the same time frame that they believe happened. Guess how many are working out well? And you can hear the frustration. When you read the articles, you can hear the frustration. Why not, why not change the date? Because then you must be accountable to someone else. Then you must be accountable to someone else. In case you're curious about that, I need you to hear Mr. Jack for a second. See, there's this radio talk show host in Denver, Colorado, also a creationist and a pastor of a church. He hears about the soft tissue. So he, he calls Jack. He actually doesn't call him. He actually, he actually writes him a letter and says, I'm going to send you $10,000 for your museum. Do whatever you want with it. I will even pay. I would like to have that soft tissue carbon dated. Never hears anything from Jack. Finally, one day on his radio talk show from Denver, Colorado, he calls Jack. You can get the whole eight-minute conversation. You can Google and get it. I cannot share the whole thing because there are words that should not be uttered. Church or otherwise, my opinion. The conversation ceases being civil at the point at which I, I'm going to stop this conversation here in a second. See, he calls him and he says, Jack, did you get my letter? And, and, and you hear Jack going, uh, well, uh, he's, he's not so, he's not, I think he's just not sure how to answer it. And, and, and maybe he didn't get it. Maybe not. He says, oh, well, here, uh, let me share what I, I wanted to, I'll pay for the testing. I'm going to give you 10000 And then Jack's like, well, uh, he goes, how about $20,000? On the radio, he's saying this, going out over to the Denver metro area. And then this is where the conversation picks up that I'm sharing with you. He's just offered him $20,000 to test it. Listen closely to what Jack says. Um, let, let, me, let me tell you where I'm coming from here. Sure. All right? Obviously, your group is a group of creationists. Yes. And, and, um, and the spin they can get off of it, right. doing it, is well, not going to help us. Yeah. So even though it's just a scientific test, they're they're not asking no, for voodoo. Not a, it's not actually a scientific test. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Carbon fourteen dating something with soft tissue in it. <laughs> Stop. Okay. Um, the spin we could get off of it. You know, if I was Jack and I was convictional about my worldview, I would take the crazy creationist money and prove him wrong. I, I would take it. Do the test. And I'd put up some huge evolutionary something with his money in my museum. That's exactly what I would do. 
See, that's my fleshly side. It's just it's like, <laughs> yeah, right? He didn't want anything to do with it. You know what that tells me? Yeah, he has a problem with it, too. He's like, I don't know how to explain this. And, and, and I think he knows that it would have carbon-14 in it. Because what did we learn last night? Every sample that has been tested at a carbon lab in every era of the geologic column has carbon-14 in it. <laughs> yeah. Guys, we, we, have, we actually have, as of, as of earlier this spring, we have detected DNA in some of that soft tissue. Detected DNA. We, we, have, we, have found, we have found even more fragile than red blood cells, osteocytes. To date, if you want to go see it, recorded in scientific journals from around the world, original soft tissue in the fossil record has been, has been published in peer-reviewed journals, whether we hear about it or not, since the 1950s. It is up to 113 samples that have been published and growing. The oldest sample of soft tissue, original biomaterial, has been, has been dated at 9 billion years old. Can't, can't have anything close to this. Or then we have to trust it. Can't have a date that's close to this. Right? We're finding complete dinosaurs now. Not just skeleton ones. Finding complete ones. Like he went down and laid to sleep was what one paleontologist said about this guy. Found up in Alberta. I, I, I've been to that Toronto Museum and I, and I got to see Zool, which was found in Montana. That's his head with skin and everything on it. You walk around the corner, that's his entire back. He's an ankylosaur. He's one of those with the ball on the end of his tail. That's his entire back. Keratin, keratin spikes and all. Keratin, that's fingernails. What their spikes were made out of. And skin. I was leaning over as far as I could lean over without getting yelled at by somebody. <laughs> to get as close to that dude as I could get. That brown stuff, that's his skin. Oh, wait. They told us how, how he died on the way out. Check this out. What happened to Zool? Wait, wait, wait. Check this. Zool died and was quickly washed into a river, likely during a... Oh, a flood. Really? You don't say. M monsoons were common in this area. Did we observe monsoons 90 million years ago in Montana? Did we observe that? That is worldview, church. That is not... That's not why would we say monsoons? Because we know and understand every one of those layers have to have a great amount of water or we do not have those layers. Just like that event in the Bible we studied last night would have produced. <laughs> Zool may even have been killed by a flood. Really? Really? As I've shared all, all, all week long in the public schools, there's, by the way, there's 50 different ideas about how they died. It's not just an asteroid. The paleontology does not agree on the asteroid. I don't care what Fox News says. I'm eating my cereal one morning. They, they did a little blurb. There's a little blurb. I mean, like, I hardly ever eat cereal or watch Fox News anymore. I just don't. That morning I did. And then this blurb comes on. All scientists now agree that an asteroid killed the dinosaurs. And then went on. Didn't say anything else. And I'm like, no, I'm screaming at the TV again. I'm like, no, 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 no. Not true. That is not true. 
I don't know what consortium got together and went, yeah, let's all agree on this. Because there's 50 different extinction theories in scientific papers. 50. The best answer is, we have no idea. We don't know. Wait, there's volcanic activity that's suggested. Wait, how did the flood start again? The breaking of the earth. <laughs> really? That's coincidental. Well, then there's just fun ones. <laughs> Serious, a scientifically peer-reviewed journal paper. Aliens came and killed them. Oh, another really favorite of mine. <laughs> you for real. This one's very hard to teach, straight-faced. That the long-necked dinosaurs ate enough vegetation that they produced enough methane gas that killed everything. They're measuring. Serious. Okay, hang on. Stop giggling. Stop. They're measuring feed yards, cows in feed yards. They're measuring the amount of vegetation that a cow takes in and the amount of gas that comes out. And they're taking that body mass and then they're, they're multiplying it for a long neck. And that's, that's the basis of their study. Really? Two guys out of the UK. Okay? I don't know if they've actually got it. I don't know if it's done yet. I need to go back and check that. You know, there, there's fun ways. <laughs> they were on the other arc. Right? <laughs> I, I like, I, I particularly like the dynamite, the, the, the stick of dynamite. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, far side. I love far side. No reason. They went extinct. You know what? If we, if we were going to talk extinction, here, here's five things that, that are more reasonable. More reasonable. An ice age following the flood. Climate has changed after the flood from before. Continental division is different after the flood than before. Habitat then changes after the flood than before. And then there's us. Because chapter 9, verse 3 said everything. Wait, what did Fred Flintstone always get at the drive-in? That big rack of Brontosaurus ribs. Maybe they did taste good. We do eat alligators. You know that, right? Have you been to Louisiana? Oh, that tail, the alligator, you know, alligator tail, yeah. It's like really good chicken, okay? So I've been going on for an hour and a half. I need you to trust this book for your destiny. And not with blind faith. I'm not asking you, the Lord's not asking you to trust this book with blind faith. He has shown us over and over again that the historical reality of this book is real. There's evidence everywhere. That means, that means Jesus Christ is our creator, just like it says. He did it the way he said he did it. Sometimes we don't like that idea, but the reality is the truth says he is. That, that means that he's in charge. And not me. And some of us that like to be in charge don't like that. Makes us feel wimpy. Makes us, makes us feel inadequate. Listen to me. I want the one in charge that has made everything and knows everything better than I do. I, I want the one in charge that says, I will save you because I love you. Because you can't. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. 
Sin did not come into the, excuse me, death did not come into the world because T-Rex started eating stuff. Death did not come into the world because those Cain-Nefesh creatures, blood-containing creatures, you've seen their blood tonight. They were blood, they were Cain-Nefesh creatures. Because they went extinct. That's not, how, that's, that's not how death came into the world. Death came into the world because we sinned. And how many of us have since then? Everyone, except one. When our Creator, when our Creator of the entire universe and all of creation, our Creator came and put on mass, came and put on flesh to walk like we walk, to experience everything that we experience, to be tempted like we are tempted, yet not fall. Because he knew what he had to do. He knew it from the beginning of time, the Word of God says. That he, was, he has this master plan that, that has been going since the beginning. It wasn't like when Adam and Eve sinned, he was like, oh no, well now what am I going to do? Well now what am I going to do? I messed everything up. I, had no, I didn't have that plan. I don't know what to do about this. Now see, Jesus knew he was going to the cross to save you long before you were here. He loves you that much. Look at me, eyeballs, focus. He loves you that much. And it doesn't matter what you've done. That, that's, the, that's the absolutely, to me, that is the absolutely amazing thing that separates Jesus from every other way of some kind of salvation in any other religion. I don't care what we're talking about. Islam, uh, uh, Mormonism, I don't care what it is. Allah is not my creator and savior. Because Allah would never lower himself to die for me. That's what the Islamic faith says. Jesus Christ, the creator of everything, came, put on flesh, shed his blood to cover your sin because you can't do it without it. We've been studying a lot of stuff this week. I've been going really late this week. Because I want you to know the truth. So that you do not exchange it for the lie. I want you to serve your creator and savior only. If you, if you don't know him, please listen to me. If you don't know him, if you've not accepted what he did on the cross for you, that he physically died for you. See, if we already had death, why would he have to physically die? That makes zero sense if death was already here. Before sin. He could have just done some spiritual thing and went, Woo, everybody's good. But he didn't. He had to physically die. Why? Because death came with sin. It makes it all put together. It puts it all together. That's why I pound the importance of Genesis when we, when we read the gospel. If Genesis isn't right, he cannot say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The only reason he has the, the authority to say that is because he created everything. He's in charge. Sets him apart. Not just a good teacher. Not just a nice guy that said some really cool things 2,000 years ago. Not who he was. He's your Savior. Come to him. 
If you've walked away from him, look at me, focus. If you've walked away from him, he's waiting for you to come back. He doesn't wait for you to get, get, your, get your life together. It's not who he is. He says, I'm going to fix you. Let me fix you. Let me, let me forgive you for all that that you can't forgive yourself for. Satan keeps lying to you. Keeps whispering in your ear, you're not good enough. You, you, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to do that. You'll never... I don't care. I care what my Creator and Savior says to me. He says, I am loved and I am worth redeeming. I'm worth redeeming because I hold His image. Come to Him tonight. You've been learning about Him all week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for tonight. Lord, I thank You for these great creatures that that sometimes we've just relegated as as some kind of an ancient beast that we know nothing about, Lord. You, you made them. You created them. You designed them. They're, they're odd. They're, they're interesting. They're creative. They're, Lord, by, by all of our reckoning, we don't have them any longer. But, but, Lord, we have evidence of them. And, Lord, the evidence says that your word is historically right. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray for the students in this room, Lord, that every day are, are learning new things. And Lord, I, I, just, I just ask that you share with them your truth as maybe they're being taught some things that aren't. Lord, help them to see and decipher. Lord, I pray for the parents that they will, they will continue to take an active role in their kids' lives, whether at church or at school. Lord, I pray that our parents that are in this room tonight are parents that love you and are sold out to you and that their kids see that and know that. Lord, the grandmas and grandpas and great-grandmas and grandpas, Lord, I thank you so much for the things you've done in their lives. Lord, Lord, please, please implore them, lift them up that they must share them with us, those things you've done, so we do not forget our history. Lord, let us not forget our history, that we are made in your image and we are redeemable. You made us that way. Lord, I thank you for that. I praise you for that. And tonight I give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.